Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.51 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 17th of September, 2021. This is episode 478 of Bitcoin. And I didn't come to you the last couple of days because it's my wedding anniversary week. 16 years, bro. 16 years. We're looking it up. <clears throat> well, I found out, a you know, kind of found a couple of statistics that corroborate each other. Eight years in the United States is the average length of the uh, American wedding right now. <laughs> or or marriage, not wedding. Uh, and eight years it takes for two people to figure out that they're fucked or that they hate each other or whatever. But 16 years, man, kind of blowing my mind. So anyway, yeah, wife came first, dude. Wife came first. Uh, let's, oh shit, let's get on into it, man. Let's start it up with some good news. Untapped Growth brings us a beautiful picture <clears throat> of, I can't pronounce, I, I don't know how to, pronounce the name of this particular citadel but you've seen it before it's that little island looking city with a wall around it that just looks like a destination to me man it looks like something that i want i don't normally really care about traveling honestly but this place i want to go walk around this this place anyway he's got that as a picture on a set of tweets here i'm just going to read them there's only three of them he says we are making a difference brothers I talked to a non-Bitcoiner regenerative farmer today about what we are building, and he just couldn't believe that people were actually interested in these low time preference agreements of mutual benefit. I assured him many, many of us existed and showed him, but one of the many tweets I could have grabbed from you guys to prove it is this one. And let's see, I'm going to get the picture up because it's a screenshot. Uh, This is from Eric Kuhn says, very cool. This is definitely a good baseline number. So for a $15,000 investment now, you can buy enough shares in a cow herd to get year, uh, yearly stakes, or meat rather, while helping regenerate the land and securing meat access for your family. Sounds amazing. And uh, <clears throat> let's go on to the third tweet in this series. These picks are what this farmer said and what I said in return. Brothers, we are the real build back better. And then the uh, picture here says, this is more like biblical capitalism, not modern global industrial capitalism. I'm almost in tears thinking that people who don't work on the land value it properly. Soil is the foundation of civilization. This is not my grandfather's nor my father's economy. And untapped growth writes him back and says, this is Bitcoin, brother. They get it. I started sharing my heart and they fell in love with it and begged to understand these loves of ours more. And this is true. You know, there there was a lot of us that came over, uh, a lot of Bitcoiners that came over from regen agriculture or at least having an interest in it. I certainly did. That's that's how I actually found Bitcoin was. Uh, actually, I, I found Bitcoin because I was somehow or another, I started looking around for um, like indoor agriculture you know, like growing lettuce and stuff hydroponically. And then I found aquaponics, which was fascinating because it married two natural systems together. And it didn't take long before I fell down the permaculture hole and started, you know, rummaging around that particular one and found, you know, a couple of people that led me to Bitcoin. And once I fell into Bitcoin, it's one of those things where you just, you sort of just never come back from that. You just don't. Um, you can buy Bitcoin and, and there are people that have just bought Bitcoin because they're in, just interested enough, but they never really fully fall down the rabbit hole, which means that they don't really understand what it is that they hold, which is sad because once you realize that you, you bought like Bitcoin back in, you know, 2015 and about 2017, 2018, 2019 hits, uh, and you start realizing exactly what it is. 
then it's different. And then something like fucking COVID hits and you're like, holy shit, I'm glad I bought Bitcoin in 2015. <laughs> it's going to get messy, people. But anyway, untapped growth out there doing the Lord's work. Uh, who Here is another thread from somebody who is not doing the Lord's work, but they are certainly pissing off Vitalik Buterin, which is okay by me. Solana. Now, you've probably already heard this because I, I found this. What's, this was from September the 14th, so a couple of days ago. And as you know, and people have been bitching at me on Twitter uh, where they've been the shows the last two days. Well, we went, covered that. So anyway, this is slightly older news, but it's in my, I put it in my queue, so I'm going to do it. <coughs> from the Solana status Twitter account, Solana mainnet beta encountered a large increase in transaction load, which peaked at 400,000 transactions per second. These transactions flooded the transaction processing queue and lack of prioritization of network critical messaging caused the network to start forking. <laughs> Let me just go on before I rip that one to shreds. This forking led to excessive memory consumption, causing some nodes to go offline. Engineers across the ecosystem attempted to stabilize the network, but were unsuccessful. The validator community elected to coordinate a restart of the network. The community is preparing a new release, and instructions will be posted on Discord. Are you freaking kidding me? Really? And, and Solana's price seems to be, at the time, was affected, but I'm looking at the price today, and it's like, it's like everybody has already forgot that Solana went down. They had to restart their entire network. I'm telling you people. You've got to put the word out in the street. Stop dealing with shit coins. If you got somebody who's, you know, dealing, oh, well, Solana is going to be the Ethereum killer. It's going to be the next Bitcoin. It's like, yeah, well, is that what you want for your monetary network? One that goes down, you know, one that can't take, you know, a, a, a hot load, so to speak. I mean, and the lack of prioritization of network critical messaging caused the network to start forking. Two things about that one. First, probably just gobbledygook, right? Second, doesn't really tell anybody at all what happened. And third, I, I don't know. I just think the whole thing is bullshit, honestly. I, I, I think that they're, that chain's probably barely hanging on just like Ethereum is barely hanging on to dear, you know, for dear life. So if you have any of these shit coins, please do yourself a favor, get rid of them. And you might want to do that really, really fast because, and you've, if you haven't heard about this one, it's because it's being buried. And this is really important. This is going to be very, very important. China Evergrande's liquidity crisis deepens, report flags interest payment miss. This is out of Reuters. Uh, Claire Jim has it. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about this. If you don't know who the hell China Evergrande is, uh, we're about to get a little bit of a crash course here. And it's going to be important. Think 2008 uh, financial crisis. China's major banks have been notified by the housing authority that Evergrande Group will not be able to pay loan interest due on September the 20th. Bloomberg reported, underlining the broadening impact of the property developer's liquidity crisis. The troubles, troubles ailing the nation's number two property developer have already sparked social anger among investors and home buyers and raised risks for China's vast financial system. Ministry of Housing and Urban Rural Development, or MoHerd, held a meeting with the banks this week. The Bloomberg report said on Wednesday, citing sources familiar with the matter. It added that Evergrande is still discussing with banks the possibility of extending payments and rolling over some loans. The indebted property developer is scrambling to raise funds to pay its many lenders and suppliers as it teeters between a messy meltdown with far-reaching impacts, a managed collapse, or the less likely prospect of a bailout by Beijing. Regulators have warned of broader risks to the country's financial system if the company's $305 billion of liability are not contained. Read that as contagion, people. 
Evergrande on Tuesday said it has engaged advisors to examine its financial options and warned of cross-default risks amid plunging property sales and lack of progress in asset disposals. The housing ministry did not immediately respond, and Evergrande also did not immediately respond for request for comment. Last week, financial intelligence provider REDD reported Evergrande has told two banks it planned to suspend interest payments due later this month. Rating agency S&P on Wednesday further downgraded Evergrande to CC from CCC with a negative outlook, citing reduced liquidity and default risks, including the possibility of debt restructuring. That's, yeah, that's like chapter 11, man. An Evergrande group default could expose numerous sectors to heightened credit risks, another rating agency Fit said in a note later on Tuesday, but it added the overall impact on the banking sector would be manageable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where have we heard that before? Quote, we believe a default would reinforce credit polarization among home builders and could result in headwinds for some smaller banks, Fitch said. Fitch has downgraded China's Evergrande Group from CC or to CC from CCC Plus on September the 7th, indicating that it viewed a default of some kind as probable. Fitch said 572 billion won or 88.8 billion dollars US of Evergrande's borrowings were held by banks and other financial institutions, but banks may also have indirect exposure to the developers' suppliers who are owed 667 billion won for goods and services, which is probably around $95 million or $95 billion. Quote, smaller banks with higher exposure to Evergrande or to other vulnerable developers could face significant increases in non-performing loans depending on how any credit event involving Evergrande develops, Fitch said. But the agency added a recent People's Bank of China sensitivity test showed the average capital adequacy ratio of the 4,000 banks in the country would only drop modestly if the NPL ratio for property development loans were to rise by 15 basis points. Evergrande's Hong Kong-listed stock slipped another 5.4% to close at 2.81 HK dollars 2.81. I guess that's 2.81 Hong Kong dollars. I don't know. On Wednesday, a fresh low since January 2014, while financial stocks were also weighed down by worries of the broader risks Evergrande's debt crisis might bring. Three of Evergrande's onshore exchange-traded bonds fell by at least 20%, and one had its trading paused on the Shenzhen exchange. Fitch also said the risk of significant pressure on house prices in the event of a default would be low, bullshit, and it expected the government would act to protect households' interests to ensure home deliveries. Market watchers said ensuring, sorry, ensuring social stability will be top priority for the Chinese government. Oscar Choi, founder and CIO of Oscar & Partners Capital, said the government would talk to creditors on one hand and use its local resources to prevent uncompleted apartments on the other. Quote, you just... You just can't let construction go uncompleted. A few hundred thousand families will be affected. On Wednesday, roughly 40 protesters stood near the entrance of Evergrande headquarters in Shenzhen, prevented from going inside by dozens of security personnel. Okay, so there's... If you haven't gotten the gist of it, China Evergrande is a huge property development. You know, they, they build homes, they build apartment buildings... They probably have a whole shit ton of commercial, like strip malls or, you know, something like that. But it's, they're they're supposed to deliver, like, it's something, like, scary. Like, one point, what was it? Like, one point, I can't remember what it was. Uh, Hold on for a sec. I got to look. Ah, shit. I can't find it. Look, they're supposed, they they are, are contracted to build a ridiculous number of housing units, whether apartments or I don't think they really ever build single family homes in China. So we're talking about apartment buildings, but like literally it's like, it's, it's a number so large that it's kind of scary when I saw it. I just can't remember exactly what it is and I don't want to misstate it. Here's the deal. They can't pay any of their suppliers. They cannot build the homes because they do not have the money to buy the materials to build the homes yet. They've been paid for the homes because those homes are all under contract. And if they default, everybody gets hurt, okay? 
everybody, the suppliers and the lenders are going to get slammed and contagion is going to go through, you know, run throughout there. And then you've got the human factor, right? The, the people that have paid their money are going to get hosed, right? They're not going to get their apartment. They're, 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 Get if they're living with their parents or whatever, or however this works over in China, they're still going to be living there or wherever it is that they're living. But the lenders, there's a company called uh, Chartered Global. I think it's Global Chartered is an English bank that has apparently massive exposure to th to the lenders of this particular group, the Evergrande Group, as well as Evergrande itself. So there's already a connection between the shit that's going on here and a, a UK-based bank, which is huge. It's like something like 800 or 600, no, it's like $805 million of assets under management. Billion, sorry, billion, 805 billion. Who's, who's exposed to that bank? Who's exposed to Chartered, All right? This is the same shit that happened almost to a T uh, leading up to the 2008 financial crisis. The, the fact is that Lehman Brothers was one of the very first banks to fall completely down and never to rise back up um, in the 2008 financial crisis, <clears throat> right? So it, it's just, yeah, it, it, just, it just went away. Um, you know what that caused. If you didn't see it for yourself, you know, you, if you were just a little kid when that shit happened and you're just getting like, you know, out of college or, or something like now, um, it was pretty rough. But it was the contagion that was the problem. It wasn't the fact that Lehman Brothers fell. It was the fact that everybody had exposure to everybody else and it only took one domino to fall. Lehman Brothers, by compare, or rather China Evergrande, by comparison, is five times the size of Lehman Brothers right before it fell down in 2008. Let that shit sink in. Okay, China Evergrande, you're going to have to watch it very, very carefully. It may be a nothing burger. They may very well be able to, you know, control the contagion release when this thing go when this thing goes belly up because it probably is going to go belly up. <clears throat> they may be able to contain it. But the problem is the contagion still exists. Just because you contain the contagion does not mean that you've killed it. That contagion, this, once those contagions are, are there, they're there for good, people. When, if it's not now, it will be something later. But you hold on, buckle up, and get ready to ride, man. Get ready to ride, dude, because that shit's probably not going to, that's not going to fall out very well. Um. New documentary tackles Bitcoin energy FUD. Oh, look, it's my wife writing for BTC Times, Jeannie Bennett. A new Bitcoin movie has hit the screens. This Machine Greens, a documentary by award-winning filmmaker Jamie King, premiered this week on YouTube. The crowdfunded documentary produced by Enrique Posner explores the relationship of Bitcoin to energy and examines claims that Bitcoin mining is dirty. The, fee the film features interviews with a wide array of industry experts such as Lynn Alden, Swan Bitcoin's lead economic advisor, Meltem Demirs, CSO of CoinShares, and Samson Mao, CSO of Blockstream. In addition, the documentary <clears throat> also offers insights from Alex Gladstein, CSO of Human Rights Foundation, Nick Carter of Castle Island Ventures, and Caitlin Long, CEO of Avanti Financial Group, Greg Foss, CFO of Validus Power and Haas McCook also make key appearances. The documentary centers on examining critics' concern over Bitcoin's energy consumption. The logic behind claims that Bitcoin mining has a large carbon footprint and is therefore dangerous to the environment has been widely questioned. Rather, This Machine Greens argues that energy consumption in itself is not bad, Rather tied up uh, with the concept of proof of work is the age-old acceptance that work itself, the harnessing of energy, is the value behind any currency. Interviews with key experts question the rationale behind concern about Bitcoin mining's energy consumption by politicians and pundits alike by comparing such concerns to the very reasoning that supports the energy involved in gold mining 
and the escalating cost of defending the petrodollar. <clears throat> in fact, Bitcoin mining, mining may be a green activity, if not ultimately carbon negative in the near future, the documentary argues, stating that mining Bitcoin uniquely harnesses energy in a way that benefits the environment. <clears throat> the film touches on recent innovations that have enabled miners to capture the methane waste of oil production and also points to contemporary global political changes that have opened new energy markets for Bitcoin miners to capture, such as geothermal energy out of El Salvador. Paid almost entirely in Bitcoin, the filmmaker's budget resulted in a surplus of funds that will be put towards the team's next documentary, <clears throat> Trust, which is set to explore Bitcoin's prehistory and its increasing relevance amidst a crisis of authority and institutions. As of this writing, this machine greens has over 20,000 views. All right, so wherever it is that you stand on the ESG narrative, <clears throat> you know, it's probably a decent uh, documentary to watch, if for nothing else, just to watch the violence of Nick Carter play out on, <laughs> on screen, right? Okay, so why Generation Z loves Bitcoin? This is out of Lawson or out of uh, Bitcoin Magazine, written by Lawson Enright. I am a Zoomer. You may have heard of us, self-entitled, spoiled, and good at tech. I recently graduated from high school, attended university, and then entered the workforce. If you have done any of these things in your life, there's a good chance that you're a human, and this article is relevant to you. Although this writing is tailored to younger demographics, it still applies to everyone. I'll begin bluntly. You are operating your life at a loss. Surprise! Now let me explain. Time is money and money is time. Literally, every day that you go to work, you trade your time and energy for yet-to-be-redeemed credits of other people's time and energy. This technological innovation is called money. As a Zoomer, I have many daily purchases and some life goals. I buy a coffee most mornings and one day I would like to own a house. I also have a savings account full of yet-to-be-redeemed credits. If I choose to not redeem or spend these credits immediately, then they continuously lose value with every second that goes by the morning coffees and that future house get more expensive. As a result, I'm able to ask less and less of other people's time. Why is that? These items get more expensive because governments use expansive monetary policies like low interest rates and money printing. I have no control over these expansionary monetary policies, nor do I benefit from them either. A cup of coffee, if I were alive in 1970, might have only cost me 25 cents. Today, it cost me upwards of $5. <clears throat> if we continue along the government's targeted rate of inflation, that cup of coffee may end up costing me more than 10 bucks before I even retire. It's an uphill battle. I have to run faster and faster just to stand still, and so do you. The current financial system is designed around growth at all costs. The economy is dependent upon debt fuel consumption for consumption's sake. Consider the impacts of this on the environment. If the incentive is to quickly spend the money you earn today before it loses value, then resources are being dug up and mined before they would otherwise need to be. Ooh, let me pause right there because this reminds me of uh, a book about strip mining economies. And that's exactly what we're doing. Honestly, it's like the only thing that they have is to partner with media and get us into a situation where we have to buy every single thing that we see as fast as we can the moment that we see it. Otherwise, the economy is going to collapse. <clears throat> they have drilled that shit into our head. So between advertising that you see as into yet one more new piece of cheap plastic Chinese shit, right? Between that and the Federal Reserve and Treasury people telling you that the economy is going to collapse if you actually save your money, that you've got to go out and spend it, man, you've got one hell of a Leviathan that you just gave birth to. And it's, it worked. They, they've been doing it forever. You know, for a, well, for a, you know, the better part of my life. I mean, if you think they just started doing this shit, you were, you're wrong, dude. They started doing this shit a long time ago, man except it's accelerating. That's what you see is like, oh, somebody put the, the pedal to the metal and I'm kind of like getting sucked back into my seat. Yeah, that you feel. However, we've been traveling down this road for quite a while. And the, the, the unholy matrimony between media companies and the federal government has been seen before in uh, history. Where what was that? Oh, that's right. Nazi Germany. Yeah, I know. If for those of you who say that that's hyperbole, 
I say to you, fuck off. It's not hyperbole. It actually happened. It's happening again. And until you get it through your head that the human condition allows for a great evil to surface in people, you will never understand and be able to move forward in this life. You will always be stuck in the matrix, polishing your slave chains, defending that which seeks to enslave you because you don't know anything else. Let's continue. By today's measurements of growth and gross domestic product, a cyclist ruins the economy because they do not buy cars, gasoline, insurance, or have car crashes. However, a fast food outlet is great for the economy because it creates cardiologists and sick people who demand medicine and treatment. <clears throat> Here's the real kicker. The debt that has been generated is what we, we are about to inherit. We are on track to pay for all of the existing debt from past generations. Tax rates will be hiked, cheaper credit will be reinforced, and uh, dollars will be helicoptered into our financial system. Whether through taxes or inflation, we will trade our time to pay for someone else's mistakes, unless, of course, we hold Bitcoin. A boomer once told me that we had solved the world's debt crisis and explained that future generations would just pay for today's consumption. I politely explained back that I store my wealth in an unconfiscatable asset so that I can't be forced to pay for your government's egregious misallocation of resources. I ask this question to you, the reader, do you. Money is possibly the most important human construct after mathematics and language. For millennia, societies have employed either a token-based monetary system like gold or seashells or a ledger-based system like the fiat currencies of today. Throughout human history, the technology used for money has slowly and constantly evolved. A fixed money supply means that human beings more intently vet their spending decisions, act less wastefully, <clears throat> and focus more on what's important for the future. If your time and energy are stored in a non-confiscatable and non-inflatable asset, then you cannot be forced to pay for a previous generation's decisions. How does that sound? Bitcoin is a digital monetary network native only to the internet. It has no physical form and crucially, it has a verifiably limited supply. Bitcoin is the first iteration in human history of a proprietary token-based system backed by a distributed ledger. Because of the fixed supply, your claim on society's time can't be diluted. Bitcoin is one of the most risk asymmetric trades anyone, especially a Zoomer, can make. It has limited downside, yet it has infinite upside. There is a non-zero percent chance that Bitcoin will go to $1 million in our lifetime, but there is a zero percent chance that your and my dollar savings will maintain value over the next 10 years. With Bitcoin in my pocket, I run with the wind at my back and I swim with the current. Special thanks to BTC Shelling PT, Nick Campmine, Arum BTC, and Dell for helping to edit this piece. That's a good piece, bro. Not bad. Not bad. It was pretty well written and obviously makes quite a, quite a few uh, good points here, especially the whole consumption for consumption's sake. And we've, again, we've been there, we've been there for a long, long time. You know, commercials, when I was a kid in the United States, we had three channels. We had the state-sponsored, you know, BBC kind of like thing called PBS or public broadcasting. And we still have that today. Um, <clears throat> but we also had CBS, ABC, NBC, and we still have those today. But we had four channels, guys. And it wasn't until I was, you know, a little just slightly older that we got cable. And it was an experiment at the time. They actually were laying the the, the coaxial cable lines across you know my hometown of midland we were a, we were what was called a test market for cable and before right before that commercials were pretty subdued let's say and there wasn't a lot of them and they were still annoying but they weren't there weren't a lot of them and they weren't just scaring the piss out of you all day they it was like dolly madison <clears throat> like hey man eat something bad for you yeah no i get it but eat this treat and watch some Charlie Brown, you know, Christmas story. You know, it was every year. Dolly Madison was the sponsor for all the Charlie Brown shit. That was the way things worked back then. Now, man, you don't get that. You get hit with ads everywhere you go. Every doctor's office, every fucking restaurant, everywhere. Uh, grocery stores have TVs and they're turned to what? 
the news, which pisses you off. And then they go break to commercial, which is what? A pharmaceutical that you need to take or you're going to die, which scares the piss out of you. So by the time you leave the store, restaurant, or doctor's office, you're pretty much pissed off and liquored up. So <clears throat> who knows? Fuck it. Let's run the numbers. CNBC Futures and Commodities uh, got West Texas Intermediate Oil is down half a point to $72.25 after one hell of a rally over the last couple of days, I might add. Brent North Sea is down a third of a point, $75.74. Natural gas is up by 0.6 of a percent, $5.36 for 1,000 cubic feet. Uh, gasoline is selling for $2.17 a gallon on the futures market. That is after a 0.4% drop in price. Uh, Peter Schiff, oh man, Pet Rock doing well, up a quarter of a point, almost to $1,762, but not quite. Silver up 0.88%, $22.99. Platinum is up almost a full two points. Copper is up over a point. Palladium is up 0.57%. Agricultural futures are mixed, but basically moving sideways. The best mover we got is actually not, well, the the widest swing we got is out of soybeans, which is down a half point. Uh, Dow Jones futures down 0.18. S&P futures down a full quarter. NASDAQ futures over a quarter point to the downside. S&P mini 0.18% down. Let's talk about real money, which is at $47,486.52. 263,000 transactions were made over the last 24 hours. That's about 11,000 transactions on average per hour with 887,000 BTC being sent in the last 24 hours. That's 36, well, let's just call it 37,000 BTC being sent on average per hour with 3.36 BTC being the average transaction value, 0.015 BTC or about 719 bucks being the median transaction value. Block times are high, 10 minutes and 31 seconds. 0.11 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis. Excuse me. Uh, 15.78 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. With a 3.18% drop in hash rate, we are down to 126.4 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator, as always, is Dogecoin at almost a full quarter of a US dollar, but not quite. Uh, Clark Moody is showing 8,800 transactions waiting on four blocks to clear. We have a market capitalization of $896.1 billion, which is 7.76% of gold's entire market cap. And you can buy 26.9 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin if you so choose. 18,818,000, God, let's do this again. 18,818,216.5 BTC are in circulation at this time. 2,669.5 of those are in the Lightning Network with a total capacity value of, holy shit, $127.1 million. That's being run over 15,402 nodes with 71,248 payment channels. 70.9% of that is run over the Tor side of the network. Uh, That means that there is 1.89, well, I'm sorry, one point. 1,891.5 1,891.5 BTC is in the Tor side of the Lightning Network being run over 9,943 nodes. Now, before I we go back to part two here, let's talk about this percentage of Tor capacity number, 7, 70.9%. All right, it was almost, almost hovering just under 75% over the last few days. And all of a sudden it's gone down to 70.9%. What does that tell you? I'll tell you what it tells me. Nobody just decided, hey, you know, I don't want to be on tour anymore. So they took their, their nodes off tour. I don't know. That's not what happened. What do you think happened? A whole shit ton of new node operators came online, y'all. A whole bunch of new lightning nodes got birthed. And they were not birthed to begin with on the tour network. 
There's a lot of node softwares that are native Tor and they spin up as a Tor node. There's also of quite a few, and I, I can't remember who, but there's also quite a few that do not do that, that you actually have to flip a switch kind of, actually it's a little bit more involved than that, to make sure that your Lightning Network is being run over, or well, that all your node stuff is being run over Tor. But all this number tells me is that a whole bunch of new node operators have been birthed and that's good news. That's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. William Suberger is going to start us out from Cointelegraph with Bitcoin C's quite healthy consolidation on $200 million BTC options expiry day. Bitcoin ranged around $48,000 on Friday as hopes of a bull run endured thanks to low supply and upcoming corporate disclosures. Data from Coin Market or Cointelegraph Markets Pro and TradingView showed the BTC USD pair continuing to consolidate into Friday with the latest options expiry now due. The pair had made a little progress since bouncing off $47,000 the day before, but bullish expectations among analysts were also firmly intact. As Cointelegraph reported, those revolve around a supply squeeze driving prices up a combination of increased demand while long-term holders already own almost 80% of the supply, quote, <clears throat> keep in mind alt supply and ETF season ahead, likely to be key drivers plus disclosures, in quote, trader Pentoshi noted as part of comments on the BTC price outlook. Cointelegraph contributor Michael Vanderpop was similarly cool about current market activity, quote, I don't think you should worry about market consolidation here. Quite healthy, he summarized on the day. A look at <clears throat> buy and sell levels on major exchange of Binance confirmed resistance beginning at 48,600. This having crept lower during the consolidation. Buy interest, meanwhile, still lays flat at 44,000. Calmer conditions on derivatives platform likewise cooled concerns over a repeat of last week's major sell-off. When Bitcoin lost $10,000 in a single day, over-leveraged trading saw a wipeout and leverage has since stayed considerably lower. Slightly positive funding rates suggest that the market is much better positioned for sustainable upside, bullish, but without irrationality. Quote, traders in Bitcoin futures markets remain reasonably bullish with the positive funding rate returning to perpetual swap contracts, Jan Allman and Jan Happel, co-founders of on-chain analytics firm Glassnode, commented on an accompanying chart, quote, note how funding rates are positive, but not up to the same level as before the $10,000 sell-off last week. The Bitcoin market is bullish, but cautious. That's good. So today is expiry day, which I did not know. I thought there was only, you know, expiry day came like at the end of the month. So I guess we're on, I guess we're on a different, different cycle. So this is good. That means we can go into a weekend. Maybe we get the weekend pump. Who knows? We'll have to see. But Christine Lagarde, former, you know, felon, actually, once you're a felon, you're always a felon. Uh, ECB president Christine Lagarde says uh, that <clears throat> uh, it, it's not, Bitcoin's not a currency, y'all. She should know. I mean, right? She, you know, got convicted for doing shit, always remember that Christine Lagarde is a con convicted felon. And the UN and the World Economic Foundation and the World Health Organization have all embraced her with open arms. What does that tell you? They're all criminals. Because of our apathy, we've allowed the entire world's stations of power to become populated with the most vile filth humanity has ever seen. Whose fault is that? That's our fault. Apathy will get you exactly that. European Central Bank Christine Lagarde was, or President Christine Lagarde was interviewed on Bloomberg TV on September the 13th, which aired yesterday. Among the topics discussed, which included monetary policy, debt, and gross domestic product of countries in the European Union, Lagarde also shared her view on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Quote, cryptos are not currencies, full stop, end quote. 
convicted felon emphatically said in the video, quote, cryptos are highly speculative assets that claim their fame as currency possibly, but they're not. They are not, end quote. Oh man, she sounds scared, dude. More than just bashing out at cryptos, Lagarde shows a deep need to suffocate something that threatens her job and its agenda. Putting cryptos aside, which are indeed not currencies, there is Bitcoin and that is not only a currency, but has the potential to turn the ECB and other organizations that have a monopoly on money creation worldwide wholly obsolete. But before discussing Lagarde's agenda, as the tr head of the ECB, the meaning of currency needs to be determined. So what is it? Merriam-Webster's dictionary de definition of currency categorizes it as something that is a medium of exchange. On the other hand, the noun phrase medium of exchange is defined as something commonly accepted in exchange for goods and services. Currency is then something used for someone in exchange for some other product or service, but this medium of exchange role of money is only one of many characteristics of a good monetary medium. Money also serves as a store of value and a unit of account. Does this mean Lagarde doesn't understand what a currency is? Unlikely. As head of one of the leading central banks globally, it is fair to expect her to know what a currency precisely is. The catch, however, is that it is in her best interest to promote her institutions and her fellow central banks' currencies at the expense of all others. If Bitcoin were irrelevant and posed no threat to central banks, the ECB president would simply not be talking about it. Mainstream media will undoubtedly share Lagarde's remarks, and the general public might even see them as truth. Well, let it be that way. In the end, it is free press for Bitcoin. People historically selected which monetary goods to use based on the benefits they brought to those utilizing them. But in the past couple of hundred years, central banks have dictated what ought to be adopted by determining the mediums with which citizens pay their taxes. That is until Bitcoin came along. Bitcoin, born just 12 years ago, was long past being magic internet money. The peer-to-peer -peer digital monetary network idealized and invented by Satoshi Nakamoto has grown over the collectible status to being or to start being recognized as a store of value. Indeed, high-profile investors in developed countries and economies are stating how superior it is to gold, the best store of value for centuries. The meaning lies in the historical path monetary goods usually take from inception to becoming accepted and used worldwide. New money historically starts as a collectible item, something a tiny percentage of the population sees value in and purchases for different reasons. As its value increases over time and the money per, uh, per uh, ooh, I got a line in my thing. Oh, Purdue's, Purdue's, more people notice increasing adoption and enabling it to be seen as a store of value. Then the money is mainly hoarded as more and more people acknowledge its demonstrated ability to increase purchasing power compared to other well-established money in that society. This stage is likely where Bitcoin is currently at. Investors, companies, and people around the world are waking up to Bitcoin's value proposition. As adoption increases, the peer-to-peer -peer digital cash will keep progressing in its monetary path to becoming a widely accepted medium of exchange. Lastly, with sufficient adoption, Bitcoin can get recognized as a unit of account. National currencies are the only kind of currency being used as units of account, each in its own country, due to political mandates and lack of legal options. However, in the medium of exchange side, different goods can often be used as the transacting parties see fit based upon their own needs. This is already playing out in many countries in the world. Kenya, Nigeria, and other African countries are becoming hotbeds for Bitcoin usage as a store of value and a medium of exchange as citizens face currency debasement, monetary colonialism, and scarce access to the banking system. Similarly, in Central America, El Salvador recently adopted Bitcoin as a legal tender after the Bitcoin law was enacted last week. Where the majority of the population doesn't have a bank account, real change is happening with Bitcoin. Lagarde's comments on Bitcoin and, quote, cryptos bring to light the fear of those who currently hold monopoly of money creation. Their actions of moving toward central bank digital currencies further showcase an attempt to tell the public, hey, we can be digital too, but the people won't be fooled. Well, okay, some of them are, dude, this is me, some, a lot of them are going to be fooled, okay? 
they're just not ready to be released from the machine that feeds them, okay? It's just not going to happen. Continuing, Satoshi Nakamoto created parallel money that doesn't require permission from a central authority to be used beyond empowering those marginalized by the permissioned monetary system pushed forward by the ECB, the Federal Reserve, and the International Monetary Fund. Bitcoin also provides everyone with an opportunity to be their own masters, something a digital euro or digital dollar will never accomplish. Bitcoin was created as a direct response to the bailouts given to the banks that caused the subprime crisis in 2008. Big corporations can afford to be reckless because there's always a friendly central bank to rescue them and pardon their debt while the average citizen pays the price. But apparently... Only now have those central banks noticed the reason why Satoshi Nakamoto and the cypherpunks before him brought Bitcoin to the world and they can't help but fear the end of a centuries-long monopoly. They aren't at ease with the idea of seeing the end of a colossal power that empowers banks, corporations, and influential individuals at the expense of regular citizens who work hard to pay the very taxes that sustain such a system. But the people say no more because now they have Bitcoin. You damn skippy, bro. You damn skippy. On to El Salvador from Brian Quarby, Cointelegraph. El Salvador's credit rating could take a hit amid Bitcoin adoption, warns S&P Global. <laughs> yeah, right. Credit rating agency Standard & Poor Global believes the country of El Salvador has severely harmed its credit rating after enacting its Bitcoin law, recognizing Bitcoin as legal tender nationwide on September the 7th. According to a report from Reuters on Thursday, El Salvador's Bitcoin embrace exposes its economy to significant financial risks and could pose challenges for the country's lending industry. The credit agency also believes that the move could dampen El Salvador's chances for securing a $1 billion loan agreement it is seeking from the International Monetary Fund. I'm not all that sure if, if this guy actually gives a shit about that loan anymore. You don't troll the IMF on Twitter when you still expect to get a $1 billion loan. Or, or maybe you do, but I, I honestly think he doesn't give a shit. I think that he's, I think that he's going to have better chances taking, making a bet on Bitcoin than making a bet on being able to pay back interest on a $1 billion IMF loan. Because once they have you in their crosshairs, once they have you in their clutches, they never let you go. I don't know if they already have their clutches on El Salvador. Okay, I just don't. But let's continue anyway. Quote, the risks associated with the adoption of Bitcoin as legal tender in El Salvador seem to outweigh its potential benefits, as S&P said, emphasizing the immediate negative implications of the Bitcoin law for the country's credit rating. International credit rating agencies offer a grim outlook for El Salvador's ranking amid the lead up to BTC adoption. Prior to Salvador Doran President Bukele announcing his intention for the country to recognize it as legal tender in June of this year, Fitch had stamped El Salvador with a B- minus in April of 2020, assessing the country as high risk with a negative outlook. Well, it sounds to me like they had nothing to fucking lose, did they? S&P's last S assessed or assessed El Salvador's credit score as being B- minus as of December 28th, 2018, suggesting it may be due for an update given the dramatic shift in the nation's monetary policy. While Bukele maintains high approval ratings among the Salvadoran populace, his leadership and government have faced backlash for enacting the Bitcoin law. Well, we know that. Yeah, so, so many people, so many people are like, you know, protesting against Bitcoin, all dozens of them at the fence. There also appears to be pushback abroad from financial agencies such as the World Bank, the IMF, which have both reiterated cautious sentiments this month regarding the adoption of BTC as legal tender. IMF spokesperson Gary, Jerry Rice stated in a press briefing on Thursday that while the fund is still in discussions with El Salvador over potential support programs, it hasn't changed its stance that the consequences of BTC adoption could be dire. Oh no, the potential of an IMF program for El Salvador is under discussion. Again, the objectives of that are clear, growth, financial stability, and so on. On the specific Bitcoin issue, I think we've been fairly clear in our public statements, Rice said. On September the 7th, a World Bank spokesperson told Reuters that while the government did approaches for assistance on Bitcoin, this is not something the World Bank can support, given the environmental and transparency shortcomings. <laughs> Transparent. Okay. Okay. So you. So let's let's recap. 
your credit rating was already in the shitter, right? You're a small country of 6.5 million people. So the IMF actually doesn't give more than two fucks about you at all. Um, it's not like you're on the world stage at any, you know, during any of the time before the June announcement of making Bitcoin illegal tender 90 days hence, right? Nobody was thinking about El Salvador at all. Now Christine Lagarde, now the ECB, now the World Economic Forum, now the IMF, now Standard & Poor's Credit Rating Agency, which was there when they were giving AAA status to junk bond shit right before 2008 because they were paid to do it. If you don't know what I'm talking about, watch the big short right? or read the book. Either one, they're, they're both pretty good, honestly. But be that as it may, nobody gave two rat fucks about El Salvador before any of this, before any of it. All right, so just keep that shit in mind. You know who doesn't really give a shit at all about the credit rate, uh, credit rating agencies or credit, yeah, whatever, however. You know who doesn't care is BitRefill because they partnered with El Salvador's super app, Hugo. Nomsios has it for Bitcoin Magazine. BitRefill, a popular platform that sells gift cards for Bitcoin, announced a partnership with Hugo app a startup that provides various services in El Salvador, including food delivery, transportation, and e-commerce and payment solutions. The collaboration will enable Bitcoin, the newest legal tender in the Central American country, to be exchanged for the broad range of products and services offered by Hugo. Quote, BitRefill is incredibly excited to be partnering with the pioneer of startups in El Salvador, said Sergi Cotaliar. Bit Refill CEO, and I'm sorry I butchered your name, I know I did, according to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. The company's vision is to enable anyone anywhere to live on Bitcoin. And, quote, Hugo is one broad selection of services available at a keystroke, said Catalier. Before announcing the collaboration, BitRefill had already processed tens of thousands of purchases in El Salvador for groceries, mobile top-ups, and online gaming. The firm shared with Bitcoin Magazine that it believes Hugo will round out their offerings in El Salvador nicely with the addition of all of its product offerings. Hugo is already the most popular delivery service in the nation and operates in Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, the Dominican Republic, and Jamaica, man. Before the company's Series A round in 2020, it was reportedly estimated to rake in $50 million in yearly revenue. Hugo's massive success in Central America has allowed it to squash Uber there. All right, that's what I like to hear. On the back end, BitRefill provides products and services that enable an uncomplicated usage of Bitcoin as a medium of exchange, allowing people worldwide to live on the peer-to-peer -peer digital currency. The platform provides various gift cards, prepaid phone refills, and Lightning Network services that people can purchase with BTC in many countries. By collaborating with Hugo, the company expects it's fur to further enlarge its product and service offerings in El Salvador while enabling Salvadorans to leverage their country's Bitcoin law. Okay, there's the thing, but let's talk about this for a little bit. <clears throat> Hugo is in El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and the Dominican Republic and Jamaica. Okay, but that, the Dominican Republic and the Jamaica is, is an island. Let's talk about Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica. Where they are relative to Honduras or uh, to El Salvador, they're right there. They're, they're right there, okay? This thing's been going on to the point that it squashed Uber. It's a delivery network. Think about it that way. It's a delivery network. Here's the thing with, let's, let's look at plants. As I've got a fruit tree. And around, actually I've got several, but around my fruit trees, I'm planting comfrey, which forms really big and very deep tap roots, all right? As those roots spread out, not just the tap roots, but its side roots, as they spread out, they basically punch holes in the ground and it loosens the soil around the root ball of the fruit tree, which makes what easier to happen for the fruit tree's roots to also kind of like pair up and skinny down the same holes that the comfrey is making. And it can get deeper and deeper and deeper into the soils, subsoils, and get down into the, hopefully, the water, you know, sort of the standing water table 
Uh, not Deogalala Aquifer. I'm t there's a, a water table <clears throat> that occurs. I won't get into it, but it's just there's standing water. You wouldn't want to drink it. It's not well water, It's but it's it's there, right? And if you can get your roots down into that, dude, you're golden. You're like basically free from drought forever unless you're like in a 25-year drought or something like that, okay? So this is sort of what I see. I got... Bitcoin is a mycelial network that's going to start piggybacking onto a network that's already extant down here in Central America. And I guarantee you, when I was saying that the IMF didn't give shit one about El Salvador, they didn't. And the reason that they didn't was because as long as they didn't give a shit about them, as long as they didn't bring attention to Central and South America, there was no way that they were ever going to be able to develop into their full potential. And now you've got Bitcoin coming down there. Central and South America are going to develop into their full potential. And there is nothing the IMF and the World Economic Forum or the, the WHO or any of these people, there is nothing that they can do about it. And what's going to be funny is how fast this shit spreads because this bit refill hooks up with Hugo and Hugo spreads like the virus it's spreading. It's going to spread another virus. Guess what? Bitcoin. It's going to spread Bitcoin into Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Costa Rica. Right? Their network is already there. And they're going to carry the contagion of Bitcoin into it. And once that happens... You've got the Pacific to the Atlantic covered in Central America as far as this, this place, which means what? It goes north and it goes south. So just think of the, the graphic in your head. Just look at Central, like from Mexico all the way down to the tip of South America and smack dab in the middle, we got El Salvador and Hugo is spread all the way across to the Atlantic side. And now the only place to go is up and you will contain, you will get a, a Mexico infected with Bitcoin and you will go down into South America and you will infect that shit. The only natural barrier or the only barrier at that point is you got to hop over the Panama Canal. That's it. Once you've hopped over the Panama Canal, it's like all, all of South America is open to you. And you got Brazil, you got Argentina, you got, you got everything, man. You got everything. And Start thinking in a long term. This is a permaculture term. <clears throat> the, the, it's called function stacking. Okay. You've tried to find a way to get one function to feed off of another function and not cannibalize it. And this is, is function stacking. This is a supreme example of function stacking. You've got bit refill hooking up with somebody who's already loosened the soil. And it's going to spread like wildfire. And the IMF have been, ha they've had their eyes closed because they didn't have to worry about Central and South America. Oh, they're just poor. They're just third world bullshit countries down there. They basically have presidents that wear sashes and basically, you know, rip, you know, rob their people all day. We don't have to worry about them. Let's worry about like great big economies and how we can control them. And in that blind side, in that blind spot of all these people that thought that they were so smart and thought they had everything under control and they were going to be giants forever. Here comes El Salvador and 6.5 million people. And yeah, a few of them are pissed off, but it's going to spread. It's going to spread and I cannot wait to see it. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, it's Friday, ladies and gentlemen. We cannot, we cannot pass without a dad says jokes. A hundred years ago, everyone owned a horse and only the rich had cars. Now everyone has cars and only the rich have horses. Oh, how the stables have turned. Support the show. Stream me sats. Use, uh, go to podcast, uh, say podcastindex.org. <clears throat> Look at their apps page. Find one. Fill it full of Satoshis. Find Bitcoin and podcast through that podcasting app and stream me Satoshis and help support the show. I, God knows I could use it right now, man. Um, Five-star reviews also help. Everything helps, man. I mean, everything helps, dude. And, and my apologies again for not coming to you over the last couple, couple of days. 
again, wife must come first. And uh, my family means more to me than any job or anything else. Yes, I know you have to have a job to support your family, but honestly, that just sounds like that sounds really vampiric. Um, there's a there's a podcaster I listen to a lot, and he always says the same thing. He's he says, uh, people ask me how I can afford to work for myself, and I ask them, how can you not afford to work for yourself? Or rather, how can you afford to not work for yourself? And while you may end up with less money, uh, either with a remote job or working for yourself, what's wealth? Just remember that. What The question is this, what is being wealthy? There's being rich, and then there's being wealthy, and the two are not the same. Otherwise, we wouldn't have to use two different words. You have to depend. You have to. You have to figure that shit out for your own. I can't. That one I can't do for you, right? I mean, you have to determine your own definitions of what the difference between rich and wealthy is, what the definition of wealthy is, what the definition of rich is. I'll tell you what I think about it. Rich is having a shit ton of money and no time to actually enjoy any of it. Wealthy means having resources available to you that will make your family stronger every single day but you don't necessarily drive around in a Lamborghini. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.